good, good morning. So thank you for coming. Uh, I know the, the rain hasn't quite started yet, but it's when you go home. So I'm glad you're, you're here. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, over the next few weeks, really in, in the book of Philippians, because we're talking about joy. And uh, that's really what the book of Philippians is about. Uh, it's kind of amazing, I think, when you could look at uh, how people experiencing the same event, but they come away with two really different conclusions. It's like when there's a movie that's reviewed and you'll see reviews that are like one star and then some that are five star. It's like, did they watch the same movie? And they'll say things like, well, it was boring and predictable or it was original and inspiring. And that's like the same movie. When disasters strike and uh, some people, it's just random chance. It's an act of nature. Uh, or is there purpose and reason? Do we attribute uh, bad human behavior to maybe societal pressure or circumstances or to the existence of evil, right? What is the cause of why something like that happens? And we try and explain a lot of those things away as uh, uh, science and reason, or or is there something else going on? Dr. Francis Collins is a physician, geneticist. Uh, he his discoveries in genetics, uh, connecting them with uh, a number of diseases, contributed to the founding of the Human Genome Project, and. Uh, in his best-selling book in 2006, The Language of God, he states that, that science answers how, but it's religion that answers why. And so, uh, really, it was after looking at that that he started to do the research himself for the first time, trying to answer some of those questions of why. Uh, in his, his testimony, he talks about uh, as a doctor being challenged by a patient who was, uh, you know, on, on uh, imminently going to pass away. And uh, she would often talk about her faith and what she believed. And it was after the time she finally said, doctor, you know, I've explained a lot of things about myself and talked about faith. And, and, and you just smile and look a little uncomfortable. What, what do you believe? And it was at that point he went, I don't know what I believe. I've never really dealt with it. He wanted to answer why instead of just how. You see, some people see the ups and downs of life as, as just random chance. And the why is distilled down to, to just luck or the bad luck. And yet God is sovereign over all of the circumstances of life. And so those affect the hows and the whys. Paul wrote to the church, specific churches, while imprisoned. And these are his uh, 
prison epistles. He wrote to Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and to Philemon while in prison. And while he mentions being imprisoned, the letters are far from bleak, right? I mean, look, if I'm writing a letter from jail, I'm going to complain about jail, right? I'm going to complain about the food and the temperature and I don't know what, I don't know what jail's like, but I assume it's not good, right? And, and that uh, Paul uses it more as a teaching tool of here's what's going on and here's how God is using even that. Now I wanted to, to read, we're going to, like I said, over the next few weeks, look at different passages in, uh, in Philippians. But I want to start in chapter 1 with verse 3. And Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Then I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He did mention it. He's in jail. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, that's his introduction. We need to start emails like that, don't we? I mean, we got to really step up our game because Paul's got it going on and mine just say, you know, I don't even, I don't even do a, a salutation anymore. I just start off with the email. So do you hear in, in Paul's letter, the inner turmoil of someone imprisoned? Did you pick up his distress? His writing to the church in Philippi is instead, he's not complaining about his living conditions, he's telling them how much he appreciates them. See, that's what's at stake. When Paul is communicating to the church in Philippi, it is so not about his condition. It's about their well-being and the gospel. And see, I think what's at stake here is the difference between joy and happiness. See, joy is defined as uh, uh, kind of a happy feeling, yet it's not that because there's a sense that happiness is based on your conditions, but joy isn't that. Joy is found in our God-given purpose. It's based on who he is, not who we are and what we're dealing with. So what is that purpose, right? What have you been called to? What have you been created for? Why were you born? 
There's actually several in this passage in Philippians. We're going to look at those. First of all, a source of our joy, God allows us to be partners in sharing the gospel. God allows us to partner with him. But wait a minute, who are we that we get to partner with God in this endeavor of the church? But that's what happens. God chose you and me to be a part with him in spreading the good news. Paul is thankful to God for the Philippians joining with him in ministry, he says. Right? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right? He's like, look, because of this... I thank God. Jesus' purpose was to seek and save the lost. That's it. We, we kind of forget that sometimes because when you read the Gospels, there's a lot that happens in those three years. But Jesus himself said, look, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He gave the same responsibility to the church. So that each believer then is to partner with the church. You guys heard Jeremy say it. That's what membership is about. It's about members saying to the church, I'm in. I'm with you. I understand that we're about something. It's not by accident that we just kind of like hanging out. Like worship was really good, so I'll come back next week. That was. That's not the reason we come back next week. We come back next week so that we are better equipped to do what God has called us to do. And it's what Jesus said to seek and to save the lost. But we don't think that way. We think, I walked out feeling better about myself. Well, that's a good thing too. But really, I need to be remembered. Remembered. I need to be remembering that, that I'm called to a purpose, to be a part of what God is doing. So Paul wrote to the church in, in Rome, Rome uh, Romans 10, 14. He said, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Right? He's talking about people that, that haven't heard the gospel yet. How will they call on him, God, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him? In whom they have not heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So it is so clear. People can't respond to the gospel until they hear it. They can't hear the gospel until you tell them. Now when you take that verse seriously. And you start looking at people in your life. You start seeing that their hope isn't just that they get a nice job, they get a degree, they, they kind of work out some things in their relationships. No, when you understand, you'll, you'll look at them and go, wait a minute, the most important thing that they will hear is from me about Jesus. How will they hear unless you tell them? You can hear Paul's concern for the people around him, and specifically the people in Philippi who he's writing to the church. He's saying, look, you've got people in your city that won't hear the good news apart from you. Now, that was even more so true then than it is today 
because there was one church in Philippi, the church. Yet today we go, well, you know, if I don't tell them, there's probably a church in their neighborhood that will tell them. There's probably a coworker that will tell them. There's, there's probably a family member. There's somebody else, right? And we kind of release the responsibility. And yet the urgency is still the same. It's always the responsibility of believers to live out their faith in such a way as to represent Jesus. Jesus made it clear on the values that he places on people hearing and responding to the gospel. Luke 5, 7, he said, just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. That's that idea. It's not just that there is a great celebration when Christians gather together in worship. He says, look, if, if there's a great worship service, that's awesome. But if there's someone responds to the gospel, he goes, there's great celebration. Not that the other is important, but realize the value that God places, the celebration in heaven. We want to be a part of the sharing of the gospel and seeing people respond. That's the purpose. That's your purpose. So then, if that's the purpose of every believer, what's the job of the church? Well, it's actually spelled out in the epistles pretty clearly. That those who lead in the church, their job is to equip the saints for the ministry of the church. And so that the, the response of the church is to teach and then the people learn how to grow in faith and better do the ministry they've been called to. We're to represent God as we share the good news. Number two... God demonstrates his faithfulness to us for a reason. I think part, it's his character. It's who he is. But he also does it, he demonstrates his faithful so that we grow more faithful. Right? He shows us, this is what you do. This is who I am. And as you grow in your faith, you become more like me. Paul commented on the faithfulness of the Philippians. He said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He didn't even use the word faithful in that verse. He said, look, on day one, you demonstrated your faithfulness. On, on even till this very day, you've demonstrated your faithfulness. You have been faithful all that time. He celebrates that in his letter. God has always been faithful to us, and we in turn, out of gratitude, we need to seek to be faithful. So how important is faithfulness? In Proverbs 3, uh, starting verse 3, it says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Meaning, don't just pretend it doesn't matter, right? Don't let it forsake you. He says, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You want to be uh, 
thought of well by other people and in the sight of God find favor. He says, you need to to be tying faithfulness, steadfast love around your neck, right? It's, It's obviously a metaphor. He says, write it on your heart. That's how important it is. This needs to be a part of who you are as a person. And so what do we do to demonstrate our faithfulness? Well, I think we advertise our faithfulness to all kinds of other things, right? We demonstrate our, our faithfulness to our sports teams and to our school Right? We wear the logos and we wear the colors. We advertise the brands of our clothes. Uh, there's all kinds of things w- that we demonstrate faithfulness to. But when people think of you, do they think about God? Right? When someone thinks of you personally, is their first thought that, that you are intimately tied with the creator? Uh, I was getting the mail uh, one time, and uh, I got was getting yipped at by a little dog. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm just getting the mail, guy. And uh, the neighbor was, was there. She was on her way, and obviously with her little yippy dog. And uh, she, goes, she goes, you don't need to bark at him. You know the pastor. And I thought, I don't know who this lady is. And it concerned me. Because then I start thinking all the things that I've done and said in my neighborhood. Hopefully I, hopefully I have represented Christ well. When people think of you, do they think of, of where you go to school? Do they think of where you work? Do they think of your family? Do, do they think fondly of you? When they see you coming, do they go the other direction? Do they, do they feel they can trust you, right? There's things about you. It's your reputation. It's your, your, your character. All of those things they think about. And do they think about God and the good things about you when they connect you with him and when they connect you to the church? Why are we known for positions on things that don't matter, <laughs> like sports or you know, weather, uh, but not on things that really do matter? It's so much easier to never talk about tough things. It's so much easier to be shallow and to talk about things that really don't matter. And what matters most is never broached. Yet... We are called to be bold for the gospel. If we're going to be bold for the gospel, it means we're going to have to bring up things that are uncomfortable at times. Right? There used to be a saying, you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion in polite conversation because you're bound to offend somebody. You know what? I think we've taken that to heart. We don't want to be offensive. And, And I'm not telling you to be offensive. Right? That's not the point. Right? The gospel is offensive enough as it is by its very nature. Our job is to be loving and kind and speak the truth in love. Don't be offensive. Just tell the truth. But do it with love. So we have this 
responsibility to partner with the church and partner with God about his task of seeking, seeking and saving the lost. We need to do it by being faithful because God is faithful. And then number three, God's purpose for us is to grow and mature as believers. I've already said, what's the purpose of the church? It's the training of believers to do the work of ministry. This is what we're called to. And if something is alive and healthy, it's going to grow. That means if you're alive in Christ, you're going to grow as a believer. What Paul said in verse 6 of Philippians 1, he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That if he's begun to work in you, right? You've heard the gospel, you've responded. He's like, he's going to bring it to completion. Now that's good news. Because I don't know about you, but I know I get frustrated with myself. Right? That there's things that I have done in my walk with the Lord that I'm like, I thought I was past this. Right? I thought I've grown in my faith. Why am I still getting frustrated with these things? Why am I still maybe losing my temper? Or why am I dealing with pride? Right? There's a lot of things that keep coming back. And and thankfully, Paul's like, look, if he's begun a work, he's going to bring it to completion. He's not done with you. It's going to take some effort to grow, but are you willing, right? Are you willing to, well, the hard attitudes to give and receive correction? Are you willing to uh, work on your relationships and when there's conflict to make those relationships right? And I can't stress how important that is. As you mature as a follower of Jesus, you'll be convicted of sin, Conflict with others will become an issue of conviction. How you handle that has a direct impact on your relationship with God. Right? It, it's, it's not disassociate. It's, it's connected that our relationship with God and how we handle it not only affects our relationship, it affects our worship. Right? There's a reason that Jesus says, look, if you're there at the altar ready to present your offering and then remember that you have something against a brother, leave your offering, go make it right. You're not supposed to be there in worship if you've got issues with your brother. You need to make those relationships right. That's how important it is. Colossians 1, or 3, 1 through 4, he says... If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is in your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so there's this this picture that there's those things that you have to set aside. Those are the things that have died. You you put those aside and you've been raised with Christ instead. This means looking at things in the same way that God does. Right? Looking at, at other people, other circumstances. 
So what's the most important thing? If there is great rejoicing in heaven at just one sinner on his knees in repentance, then we should take such a view. Your reconciled relationships with God matter. And so how you grow as a believer matters. Jesus said, if you were my disciple, then you would deny yourself and follow him, right? That's what he said, right? If you would come after him, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. As you grow in your faith, your priorities change. Joy is less about what you want and more about what honors Jesus. You see, that's what's at stake. It's about perspective, not about getting what you want, right? Not about your circumstances. Number four, God intends for us to be unified in fellowship and affection. That's the characteristic of the church. There's a reason Jesus prayed. Father, make them one as you and I are one. He was talking about the church. That means we're supposed to be one of one mind, of one purpose, you know, going about the business of the ministry of the church. And I use the word affection. Uh, You could hear it in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. He says in verse 7 and 8, he said, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. That sounds affectionate. For you are all partakers with me of grace, right? We're in this together, both in my imprisonment, right? He's in jail. And for the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness. I yearn for you all with affection. Paul's writing to this church. He doesn't know them as well as you all know each other. And you could hear the affection, the love for them that he has. And when you think of the church and your your, uh, camaraderie in the ministry, you should be thinking of each other in the same way, right? With affection. It's one of of the, the, the things I love about the church because... It's not like going to a sporting event where everyone's walking in, high-fiving each other, slapping each other on the back when your team does something. It's very different because church is when you show up and people, people with genuine affection meet. You can see it, right? Because it's not just a superficial, let me shake your hand. It's, it's a greeting. It's, it's an involvement in each other's lives. That's the point. And I say that because I see it with you guys, and that's a good thing. And if you're like, I don't know that I feel that yet, part of it takes time. Part of it's the commitment in the church. And I would recommend fully the more involved you are, the more time you spend. The community groups are helpful for that, right? All of that, the more you spend time with people, then you are of one mind, You become, as Jesus says, one. And that's the goal because we're to be one as a church as Jesus and God are one. We're supposed to be of one mind and one purpose. Then even as there's like different churches out there, we're supposed to be of 
the same purpose of making disciples. Colossians 3, 12, uh, following Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's that picture of what the church ought to be like. He says, look, if you're, you're one of God's chosen, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says, you're going to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient with each other. That's what we're supposed to be. And you, can't, you can see how those are people you want to spend time with. Well, then the burden is on each one of us to work on that as we grow in faith. And then number five, God works in us to develop discernment. Discernment, to understand what is valuable. He said, in my prayers that, uh, is my, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve what is excellent and what is pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Right? That's what it means to have discernment. That you would be able to look around at the circumstances with wisdom and see what is good, righteous, what is not good, what is evil, what is not helpful. And I can't stress how important that is, that we would exercise discernment. That we don't believe in everything, not, not jaded, but, but with wisdom. Uh, James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Right? That's what wisdom is. That's how we exercise discernment. We do it with wisdom. Pure, peaceable, gentle. Open to reason, that means kind of, that's what it means to have an open mind. That, that phrase has been co-opted. To have an open mind means you agree with someone. That's not what open-minded means. It means willing to look at what's going on uh, with wisdom and see what's true. And then full of mercy and good fruit, right? That's what it means to have wisdom. And then Paul uh, uh, Romans 12, 2, Paul says, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so there's this idea, you're not just uh, agreeing with everything you read, everything you hear, all the, the influence, the peer pressure, everything that's out there know that you would be able to discern what is good and right and perfect, not just going along with the flow. So really the characteristic that determines where you stand with wisdom and discernment and even joy is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? That that's what God does for us. So if you are going to be 
a, a new creation, if he who began a good work in you is going to finish it to the day of completion, then the Holy Spirit's going to work in your life. And the way that that happens is by trusting, right? Acknowledging your sin, trusting God, and allowing him to work in your life. I have a couple of next steps for you today. Uh, first of all, uh, that you would commit to work toward your God-given purpose. And I put there, start today, right? It's, I think we often go, yeah, I'm all for that. Later, right? Yeah, sign me up next year. Or there'll be a time when I'm not as busy, right? That's when I'll, I'll help out at church. I guarantee that if that's your attitude, you'll never get there, right? If it's always, I'll do it then. I'll do it later. When my kids are a little older, it'll be easier, right? It'll never happen, right? To start today. Second, uh, join with CIV to serve the Lord and share the gospel. So that might be membership. It might be committing to a team, uh, a community group, getting involved in how best to reach the community with the good news. And then um, assess my joy in light of how I'm maturing as a believer. This is a hard one, so I put it last, right? Anytime you use the word assess, uh, it really does mean taking some time to look at your life that you're going to say, you know, how am I looking at things? Am I seeing things the way God does? And if not, why not? And then, uh, so as a believer in doing what God has called me to do, uh, there is joy in doing what God has called you to do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are so gracious to us that if you have begun a good work in us, you promise that you will be faithful to complete it, that uh, you don't start on us and go, you know what, he's too much trouble. Uh, that you keep working on us. So we're grateful for that. Father, I do pray for a godly perspective that uh, the things you value will be most important and most valuable to us too. I pray, Lord, that you, you bind us together. Father, as a church, that... Uh, as Jesus said, that, that the church would be one, of one mind, of one purpose, of one goal, uh, celebrating you, making disciples, living lives that honor you. That we would do it with love and affection and patience, with discernment. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough that you sent your son to die on the cross that we can believe and repent and be saved. Thank you that your promise of uh, new creations is true. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.